That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, here we are, second Sunday in Lent, and this is a very special episode, mm. like an ABC after school special, because one, it is episode 234, which is 234. Oh, that's pretty clever. You just thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, and we're both wearing clerical <clears throat> collars and black suits because we're recording on Ash Wednesday, which, listeners, if you want to know how much we care about you and your preaching, we're taking time out of this day where we uh, have like 12 services to do and uh, all of that. Yeah. Jake's got more glitter to mix into his ashes and all those sorts of things <laughs> at Calvary St. George's, but we want to help you prepare to preach during Lent. Why are you laughing, Jake? Because it's funny, because it's not true. Um, it's but not I do true. have a children's service right around the corner where we're going to explain to them what Ash Wednesday is all about. So, But um, this is a great season, um, great season of penitence, uh, and uh, a time to reset, if you will, and kind of get back to the, the basics and uh, to be reminded of our great and profound need for God. And uh, especially for um, his son, Jesus. And so, and I mean, the colics are um, absolutely beautiful uh, through this season. Anything stick out to you about this particular colic today? Absolutely. It is, to me, like a mini prayer of humble access, mm. which if you are an Episcopalian that goes to a church that has a right one service of Holy Eucharist, you might have heard that prayer, which says, Thou, O Lord, whose property is always to have mercy. And in this collect, you get this beginning, O God. A collect always begins with some characteristic of God. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy. Kind of the same language. And there's, I think, so much of a perception of God that he's like 95% nice guy, but like 5% better not make him mm -hmm. mad. And most people spend a lot of time worrying about that 5%. But we know um, that, as uh, the scriptures tell us, God is love, um, gracious and merciful, and that's uh, that's what this colic gets to. I, I think it's so important in Lent, which in so many churches becomes a place where you're, you know, it's the clergy's excuse to get out all their frustrations on the congregation and tell them what terrible people they are and, like, really make them feel awful about their... All those mm. things we pray on Ash Wednesday in the, in the litany of penitence, like we have neglected our prayer and worship and we've been slothful and all that, which is true. But uh, haranguing from the pulpit doesn't change anyone. Uh, as you'll see in the Romans reading later today, uh, mm -hmm. or this episode, the law only brings wrath. But um, if you can help people hear that the point of Lent is to come to the end of yourself and be a place where you then open to God's grace, that's um, that's what it's all about. So that's, that's all really I have to That's really beautiful, say. yeah. It's good. Yeah. Well, I think it, our readings there. today are from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4a. Then we have Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and 13 to 17. And then finally, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So there is uh, lots of good preaching here. Um, the, um, the Genesis uh, reading, and I mean, I, I love how it kind of, it tries to, to run a narrative. And if you were going to try and create a theme, I think you could preach on the covenants of the Old Testament. 
But um, but this, uh, you know, basically this is the introduction today to this character Abram, who later becomes Abraham, the father of many nations. And so, and um, and in this particular passage, what we see right here is um, two themes that are running throughout it: grace and mercy. Mm. And uh, first of all, it's not that Abram was just like an amazing person doing great things out in the middle of Ur, you know, in the Chaldeans, which would be today Iraq. Uh, he was basically a moon worshiper hanging out, and God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative and calls out to him. Now, he's of a line that's been calling out to God, um, the line of uh, uh, Seth, but, um, but nonetheless, God's got his number, and God calls him and says a couple of things to him. He says, go from your country and your family, essentially, to the land that I will show you, and um, I'm going to make you, and he's 75, so that's B that's been cut out, 4A. It says, and he was 75, so he's, he's an older guy here, but I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great for one purpose and one purpose only, so that you will be a blessing. Um, because as we're going to find out later on, that um, the Messiah is going to come from this line. But so this is this is a whole illustration of, of grace. God, um, God calling Abraham, God giving Abraham what he doesn't deserve. Now, if you remember, it's, um, hey... You're, uh, you're, you're supposed to go alone, you know, no one else. But um, all of a sudden, Abram brings along Lot. And so, and this is, a, this is kind of an interesting thing, you know, um, the two contrasted. So God's grace, but uh, Lot, uh, Abraham still being a sinner and, um, and following along. But so here we have mercy and God and the entire life of Abraham is going to be one of grace and mercy. Yeah, Lot, the ne'er-do-well nephew, Cletus, the slack-jawed yokel sort of situation, <laughs> mm. who, yeah, ends up being a real source of uh, trouble for humanity. But you're right. This is the, this is the clear indication of um, God beginning to put into action that offspring of the woman that's predicted in Genesis 3 that will crush the head of the serpent, that will... It'll sort of restore everything that was broken um, after the, the fall from paradise in the garden. Mm -hmm. This, um, this, and, and we get an indication that we'll see it unfold over time. This nation will be the nation of Israel. But it's not just to make a, one nation special and great. It is, as, the, as this makes clear, the, all the families who are there shall be blessed. So this is a this is a promise of the Messiah. Who mm -hmm. Christians look at this text and see it fulfilled in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, and it is this also this passage. You would have to give a lot of context and backstory in order to preach on it to make the grace sort of clear. But yeah, you could talk about all the stuff that Abraham was doing, as you said, Jake, worshiping the moon and Ur. Mm -hmm. uh, you could talk about the stuff that he will do, which is throw his wife Sarai or Sarah under the bus twice with the Egyptians. Uh, mm -hmm. You could talk about him not really trusting God totally, doing a plan B with. Uh, getting um, Hagar, his uh, servant, pregnant with his son Ishmael, all these sorts of things. Uh, Abram does not hit the mark, but he mm -hmm. does trust God, and this is and he he's believes saved by God, grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He believes God, and he's saved by grace. And, and, this, and the reason this passage is here in the second Sunday in Lent is because we, we heard about the fall from grace on Lent 1, in that Genesis reading, the fall in the garden, and this is God putting it back together. So that gives you a nice little sermon series. Mm -hmm. But it is also here because in the book of Romans, 
Paul quotes this passage about being a father of many nations and Abraham and all that, and um, and and shows us how um, both in the story of Abraham as well as in what we see in Christ, salvation is by grace and not by works from beginning to end. It's not that the Old Testament was law and the New Testament is grace. It's like it's grace from beginning to end, and that's what Paul's point is. I saw a funny um, uh, biblical Valentine's. and uh, It's not and appropriate, Lent. It's not appropriate. No, but Can't share it. Yeah, and well, next year, uh, Ash Wednesday is, I think, on uh, Valentine's Day. So uh, mark oh, your calendar, everybody, and start making your Ew. plans. But anyway... Um, uh, one of the Valentines was, um, sorry, I told Pharaoh and Ambimelech you're my sister. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> that is a deep cut Bible reference, but I love it. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I mean, Happy we've all been there, right? Yeah, I know. I, know, I mean, yeah, it's all the that's time. so relatable. Um, all right, so we turn now to Romans, uh, which, you know, the Genesis reading has set up perfectly here. And, and basically, Paul is writing this because people... <laughs> We're sort of offended at Paul's message of grace, which was mm-hmm. the message of Christ. It's the message of Christianity, and uh, they think he's getting too, too fast and loose with uh, with forgiveness and and just getting too free with the grace of God. And they want to say, well, it's mostly mm-hmm. grace, but there's a little things you have to do. You know, there's a little bit you have to add to it. And Paul is trying to say, no, it's it's either all grace or nothing. So he says, if if the adherents of the law are to be the heirs, then faith is null and promise is void. For the law brings wrath. So he says, basically, the promise has to be has to rest on grace. And humans generally hate this. We push against it. We don't want to give grace to anyone. Sometimes ourselves, but generally not even that. Um, we we want to be in control, and grace means you're not in control. Grace means your your pedigree, your resume doesn't matter, um, and uh, and you're just forgiven. So law brings wrath, but we have we have this grace. Uh, and the the ending of the Romans reading I think is so powerful. Uh, God is described as the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So everybody in your pews listening or your stackable chairs or whatever, or your live stream listening to this, um, thinks that uh, on some level they need to become a better person so God will like them. Even in the most reformed grace preaching place, that's like the default condition of the human heart. And what we hear is that God is not asking you to become something. God speaks into existence a new believer, a Christian, somebody who's saved by grace through faith. So, mm. uh, which is which is powerful, especially in Lent where people are feeling, you know, even more self-loathing than they normally do. Yeah. I think if you want to give a little context to this to, to, to really make it uh, rich is that um, there was a, a rabbinic teaching um, at the time of Paul, uh, rabbinic teaching that um, Abraham was actually justified by his works. You know, the rabbinic teaching, as in a lot of uh, uh, Jewish traditions today, uplift Moses as kind of the be-all, end-all. And so that, um, and sort of kind of protect that narrative um, that was taught that Abraham was justified by works. And um, what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 4, it's very important, but he is appealing not to rabbinic tradition, but to the Torah itself, uh, for his um, for his his argument here in Romans, what happened was is that people were like, "Oh, Paul, you're starting a new religion. Why are you starting this new religion?" And you often hear, times hear that even today. You know, well, I I follow Jesus, not Paul. No, no, they they teach the exact same thing. And so, um, but what um, so what Paul is doing here is he's appealing back to the Torah, and he's like, actually, 
And one of the whole points here is, is that, that um, Moses does not trump Abraham. The covenant mm. that God made with Moses doesn't trump Ab- the, God, the covenant God made with um, Abraham. The tr- covenant God made with Moses does not trump the covenant God made with Abraham. We have always been justified uh, by grace. Uh, we've always been justified by believing God. That's what credit is, credits us as righteous. And so, and this is why he says, for the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. All of these promises made to Abraham are made before they're made to Moses. And so, um, and and exactly the point that if, well, if Moses' covenant trumps Abraham's, then faith is null and the promise is void. And now uh, the bad news is, is that we live actually in wrath. And so uh, this is why um, the descendants of Abraham are uh, the, those, the adherents who share the faith of Abraham, the belief in this promise. And this is actually uh, an interesting thing. I mean, this is just very powerful. And why is Abraham believe and credited to him as righteous? What's the testimony of that? Well, it's not just simply that he went to Canaan, but when it meets its fulfillment, it finds out when he takes um, his son Isaac, your only son, to the top of the mountain and have him killed. Well, it's Abraham believed that the promise was going to be through Isaac. So he had to believe that God was going to raise Isaac through the dead, from the dead. And so this is the whole connection that in the presence of God in him who he believed, believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. A 75-year-old man having a child that would be the father of many nations. A God who will raise that child from the dead. Um, this is this is what it's all about, and God creates this with His Word. Yeah, the 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 um, if you were to pick one phrase from this, or if one would to pick, if I would to pick, I think yeah. um, the other thing, whether you want calls into existence things that do not exist. Also, another way of saying the same thing is in verse five: God is Him who justifies the ungodly. Yeah, mm. uh, which is offensive. It, uh, I mean, God takes ungodly people and just says that they're okay, gives them a stamp of approval. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it does, I mean, God obviously cares about sin and justice and all that, and that's why the cross is so important. But, um, but ultimately, uh, this, this is a, something that's deeply powerful and helpful. God is the one who justifies the ungodly. Mm-hmm. It is sort of shatters all of our paradigms all the ways we think about god all the ways we think about the world and how it works you got to earn stuff it's quid pro quo it's all of that meritocracy and this is not that this is yeah justifying the ungodly absolutely and that whole line is a body slam against the idea that um, abraham is justified by works but to the one without works trust him who justifies the ungodly such faith is reckoned as righteousness. I mean, that is, it's credited. It's not just that you're not not guilty, you are righteous. It's not just that you're like kind of morally neutral. You are totally righteous by this faith, like yeah. seeing blameless in God's eyes. I mean, yeah, that is powerful and it is crazy and it is unique amongst the world's religions. Yeah, and so if you preach on this passage, have your people leave there feeling like uh, they've been They've been yeah. on this second Sunday in Lent that they've gotten a Christmas gift or something like. Absolutely. Um, this is this, and you know, this is the news that actually does transform people. Mm-hmm. That does call into existence things that do not exist. Um, the one who works 
wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. So mm -hmm. if people leave feeling like there's more work for them to do, it's been actually antithetical to this, uh, to this whole passage. Uh, which puts, you know, Lenten disciplines, you know, some of you are listening to this like, after already writing your sermon. Because I know some of our listeners listen after they write their sermon, so we don't, you know, poison the well, et cetera, beforehand. <laughs> you know, I get it. Like, you know, you, you want to make sure you have your own creative ideas first. They just want to hear first, where we were wrong. And then hear where we were wrong. <laughs> or maybe add a little, you know, get, add that little parsley to add to the plate, a little garnish or something. Uh, but um, uh, I think... If if you're hearing this and you already wrote your sermon and you were going to talk all about Lenten disciplines and now you feel like you're going to have to tear up your sermon, uh, I feel you're for correct. you. But, I mean, you, well, at the same time, I think you can talk about Lenten disciplines, which are a great thing. But just know they're not any, you know, you're not, and I, I'm sure our folks aren't listening or aren't feeling so. You don't earn anything by them. They're, they're God doesn't need our good works, um, if anything, what I've found talking to people in my own life, Lenten disciplines just make me realize how much I need my grace, God's grace. Huh. And um, so I think if they get you to that place, then that's great. But that's just know absolutely that God is not, key. God's not that's grading. Good. He doesn't have a clipboard. He's not He's not in a stopwatch. He's, yeah, my Lenten disciplines are, uh, um, and your disciplines are for you and for your neighbor. You know what I mean? And yeah. so they are... Uh, Ways that God opens our eyes to um, to uh, vices and uh, new ways of doing things, but they most certainly do not justify us. And so, and uh, this is, um, and if to believe so, I mean, well, then um, this is kind of gets at uh, uh, the very heart of Nicodemus's confusion in our gospel reading, John chapter three, verses one through seventeen. That's right. So we have um, uh, this leader in the Jewish tradition, coming to Jesus at night because he doesn't want to be seen. Jesus is a little bit too hot to handle. And so Nicodemus is intrigued and drawn to Jesus. So he sort of, under cover of darkness, um, comes and admits that we know that he's from, that Jesus is from God. Um, and Nicodemus just gets these flattering words out of his mouth, uh, doesn't even ask Jesus anything at first, but Jesus knows exactly what Nicodemus is after, which is to, to see the kingdom of God, to, to, to have some sort of spiritual insight that Jesus can give him. And he says, to get that, you have to be born from above, or as other translations famously have it, you need to be born again, uh, or some have it be born anew. But whatever version you have, the idea is there needs to be sort of a, a, a complete change in your in your way of being in the world and how you see your relationship to, to people and to God and, and all of that. And Nicodemus takes it very literally. How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born? And he says that, no, this is a work of um, the wa of water, um, looking ahead to baptism and the s and spirit. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, and this is, of course, where we get the, the famous John 3, 16, um, that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And my favorite one is the next verse. God did not send the Son of the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So it, that's, that's the, the whole um, story. And it, it is, yeah, moving from a place of um, relating to God through one's own actions and doings and achievements to being born again, to being a baby who can't do or achieve anything and has to rest on the grace of God. And it's... 
you know, you don't you don't work to be born. You you are born. One is born. Um, and this is what Jesus says needs to happen. How would you make this connect for uh, your random pew sitter at Calvary St. George's in New York City? Mm. Well, this is uh, such a, I mean, this is such a central passage to Christianity. And uh, like you said, I mean, uh, and um, Nicodemus, you know, he's meeting Jesus in the middle of the night, probably a little embarrassed, you know, um, and asks these very questions, you know, what do you mean talk about born again? You know, what, what do you, what do you? Tell me what this means. Because you see, Nicodemus is into uh, the shadow. Uh, he's into the um, he's into the anatite, not what, what, what all of the shadows of the Old Testament have been pointing to and, uh, you know, find their meaning in. He's into that, and so he's completely confused by everything uh, and concerned by what he sees going on. And uh, this is amazing. Uh, Jesus says, you must be born from above. So by water and the Spirit, you know, um, <clears throat> I mean, eventually this connects to baptism. But, you know, uh, Nicodemus is like, what What do you mean? This is still so confusing. But I love this. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. A.K.A., uh, you are about to see things, and you're going to experience things that are going to blow your paradigm. Uh, why? Because we think that God justifies the godly. And you're about to see prostitutes get saved. You're about to see tax collectors transformed. You're about to see all of this stuff where um, you never think God is going to be working. Um, well, it's about to happen. And, um, <clears throat> and this is very fitting because it's already been going on with John the Baptist out on the banks of the Jordan River where uh, not in Jerusalem. I mean, Jerusalem, they're like, what is going on down there in the desert? And so, but you're about to see these things. And uh, Nicodemus, of course, is like, how can this possibly be? And, you know, and we have in our paradigm also that God helps good people. You know, we've been so baptized by Plato that we think what's going on below is a reflection of what's going on above. And it's all nonsense. And Jesus really nails Nicodemus here by saying, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? And so, you know, you can't understand the spiritual. How are you going to understand these or the earthly things? How are you going to understand the spiritual? So, but the first thing is, is that God's at work where you don't expect him. And then, um, and then this is backed up. Jesus brings this up from the Old Testament with this great story from Deuteronomy and the lifting yeah. up of the snake. And if you remember, Israel had been unfaithful and God sent snakes. And the only way that they would be cured um, uh, of, of the snake bite was to look upon the serpent. So look upon the very thing that you think is death itself. Uh, look upon that and you will be saved. And to look upon Jesus means that your life is no longer your own. You know, there's no saving your life. You need to be saved because you need to be born from above. Uh, that is like, I mean, that's the really good thing. And that's the powerful thing. But what is it all saying? Well, it's telling you that um, in the places you don't want to look, that's where you're going to hear loudly that God uh, not only loves you, but loves the whole world and has given his son Jesus to save it. Uh, because in Jesus, there's no way he's ever going to condemn it, but has um, come to uh, shed his blood for the whole thing. That's right. And I think Lent is a time where you can ask people to sort of look at the snake, look at the result of their faithlessness and their humanity and their um, massive 
mistakes and all those sorts of things and to get honest about them because we know that God is gracious as the comic mm-hmm. says and reminds us at the beginning um, God whose whose glory it is always to have mercy so you can look at the thing in your life you can look at the snake as it were and um, and know that that's that that's the that's the place that God came to address in Jesus Christ that he came not for the righteous but for sinners so looking at that place is actually where you will find God you will find God in the place where you thought God could not act you will find God in the place where you thought you had failed and disappointed God the most that's actually the place that's what it means to 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 lift up to look at the snake and you know and here Paul uh sorry John says or John records Jesus's words as Moses lifted up the serpent so the son of man was lifted up Jesus becomes, um, in looking at Christ, we are confronted with who we are. We are people who crucify the Son of God. God comes bringing grace and truth. We're like, nope, we'd rather do it the old-fashioned way, earn it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we we kill him. Uh, So looking at Christ crucified and resurrected, um, seeing both, you know, how... uh, yeah, we destroy, we, we, we set ourselves up against the things of God in the world, just like Peter will do later on when, he's, when Jesus says, I have to die. And Peter's like, no, you won't. And, and that's where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know, that's the, we don't, we want, we want a rock star God who stays on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, all shiny and glowing all the time. We don't want one who goes to the cross. Um, tell, Lord, this cannot be, you know, that kind of attitude. But no, he, he goes to the cross to save us. Uh, and so we have to look at him, which tells, which diagnoses our problem and also gives us a solution. And um, make sure you do that from the pulpit. Amen. Well, Jake, I think that about covers it. That's right. We're recording this Ash Wednesday. Um, and gosh, you look marvelous. And uh, so I'm do you. Look we very got clerical. To, well, yeah. Very there's clerical. a little bean, there's a little sunbeam that's like landing on it right now. It's 79 like, there and it's uh, 33 here. 79 and sunny and stoke. But in you, you're in New Yorklandia. It is. Yeah. Cold and sleeting. Well, that's All right. more Lenten, I will say. Yeah. So you win. Okay. Good. All right. All right. We'll talk Until to you soon. Until Lent 3. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.